there. Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston. I'm the founder and director of Clyde, and I'm sitting in the podcast room today. Can't wait to hand you this interview with mental health counselor, Margaret Manning Scholl. She is amazing, and we are going to talk about slowing down our lives so we can burn bright without burning out. But before we get there, I want to remind you that if you are not a subscriber to this podcast, you can be, and this podcast can show up on all the platforms that you can get podcasts. So make sure that you subscribe and also want to let you know that we have so much more than a podcast going on around Collide. We have amazing conferences coming up. We have so many printed Bible studies and resources and downloadables. We have a blog. We have online courses. So if you get something rich from today's podcast and you want more, make sure to hop over to our website at wecollide.net. And I can't wait to now turn you over to this conversation that I just had with Margaret. She has a master's of divinity, a master's of science degree in clinical mental health counseling, and she has impacted my life personally. And so I am looking forward to you being impacted as she talks about the importance of slowing down this crazy life that we live. So check it out. Margaret, I'm so excited to sit down with you today. This is the second time you've come on the Clyde podcast. The first time I enjoyed it so much that, um, you know, I've been wanting to have you come back since then. So thank you for hanging out. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Margaret, I want to talk to you today about so many things. And one of the things that we've kind of pre-talked about before this conversation is you mentioning the speed within which we live and um, how it's impacting our lives. And so I thought I'd just start off with, can you kind of describe the speed that you're seeing us live and how it's maybe changed over the course of time as far as from your perspective? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I am a little bit older and I lived in the time. I know for some of the audience, this will be a surprise to them because they've only known this, but I've lived in a time before cell phones, before the internet, uh, before uh, many of our really speedy modern conveniences um, that we now can't live without in many ways. And um, I think that one of the things that I started noticing is just how, and this is a very simple thing, but just how fast everybody drives to get everywhere. I remember visiting and traveling around and going to different towns and certain towns, it seemed like things were slower. And then I'd go back to those towns about 10 years later and people are just flying down the highway. And of course we see um, and hear about more and more incidents of kind of road rage and uh, impatience. But I also think because as I'm a therapist, it shows up and this is very practical and specific. It shows up in the therapy room with folks wanting to um, find what is quickest, what is most expedient, efficient. And there are a lot of reasons for this. I understand it, but sometimes not recognizing that change and growth 
and development take time. Um, and there's a lot of anxiety out there. And I think anxiety is correlated, among other things, with the speed and the pace of life which we lead. Um, we feel like we're in a hurry all the time. We feel like everything is urgent. And we have very little space to sort of notice that. Um, that's what I'm noticing and feeling like, wow, there needs to be some way in which even within these conveniences that we wouldn't want to get rid of, there's got to be ways to sort of take a step back and take a look at them and see how they are contributing to more and more of a sense of that urgent and that pressure of uh, that creates, I think, anxiety in a lot of folks. Hmm. It's so interesting to hear you talk and I have so many things swimming through my head. But even tonight, I'm going to go speak to a bunch of high school girls. And as I've prepared for the message that I have tonight, I've done some research on teenagers and teenage girls on average are spending nine hours a day on phones. And it struck me even, you know, talking to a friend this week when, and I'm almost 50, it's funny when you talk about your life, like before the internet, before the, this, before the, that, I think some people hear that and think, oh my gosh, are these women dinosaurs? But it really wasn't that long ago, no, right? It no. wasn't that long ago. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I took a, a um, trip in high school. So I'm still in my forties. I took a trip in high school where I was an exchange student in Germany and it was a 24 hour travel, like get on a plane, get on another plane, get on a train. You had no cell phone, no internet, no way to know who's this random family that's picking you up. And, you know, here we are only a couple decades later, but now we're talking about a generation who, when they hear that, it sounds like forever ago. And the first generation has kind of grown up with this speed of life where it's like nine hours on your cell phone. Yeah. And we're seeing the effects of that. I mean, as a mental health counselor, what kind of things are you seeing? I mean, you talked about people are coming in and they kind of want a quick fix. But what other things are you seeing happening in our life because the speed within which we live is impacting us in a multitude of ways. Yeah. I think one of the things I see a lot of is just the overload of information, right? So it's not just that we have um, our phones and we have them on all the time. It's the amount of information that our, it, people are accessing or being exposed to at any given time. And you know, as well as I do, that one of the key selling factors of new technology is just quicker download speeds, quicker download speeds, quicker download speeds. And we don't think about how, when we're used to things being quicker and quicker and quicker, that a 10 minute wait seems like an eternity now. And it used to be that that was nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So but I do think the amount of information that people have access to creates all kinds of anxiety because people are aware of things that they would have never been aware of before because there wasn't that access. And then I think um, the other thing that I see, of course, with um, a lot of the information that we get, it's just information that we have no way to check the source or the validity or whether or not it's factual. And there's a lot of confusion. 
I think confusion creates a lot of anxiety. Well, I saw, I saw this, or I read this, this must be true. And so people are, they don't know anymore. What is a reliable source? How do I, how do I actually research this to find out whether or not it's true? It's just, if it comes into my streaming feed, if I see it on TikTok, whatever it's, it's what reality is. And so I'm seeing a lot of that as well. I mean, we could get into all the ways in which social media in particular is impacting young girls, but that's, that's for another conversation. Um, because clearly there've been a lot of, lot of recent, uh, news reports and studies being done on how, on the impact of social media in particular on young women and their view of themselves. Um, that would definitely be another impact, but that's less about the speed of life and more about uh, these other consequences that contribute to anxiety, depression, rising rates of suicide and and that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's what I'm seeing. Um, and it's, it's pretty disconcerting. Yeah, no, I, I bring up the, the teenage phone thing just because it was only so, you know, so few years ago that we didn't even have phones. Now it's almost like we're experimenting with the whole whole generation of the speed of technology, the speed of everything changing, the speed within which we live has just gone so very fast that it's almost like we're guinea pigs in some sort of experimental world. I'm curious when you think about, you know, people's speed of life, what are the warning signs that um, someone's not slowing down enough? Mm -hmm. Well, I think definitely a sense of overwhelm. (laughs) that I can't, uh, and in that overwhelm, I can't even parse out what needs to be a priority, what's really truly important. And what is that sort of nagging or screaming voice of you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do the other. So that would be one overwhelm. I think the second thing that I look for is a, a one's ability to just kind of soothe soften, comfort, be with oneself to know what you even need. We often talk about, and and I think people are familiar with the analogy of putting a frog in a cold pot of water and gradually turning the water up, the temperature of the water up. And that frog doesn't realize that the water's getting warmer and just stays in until it boils to death. Well, sometimes I think that's what happens to us with the speed of our life, the pace of our life, the screaming urgent sense of urgency, um, and, and a sense of having to be in a hurry all the time. I think that is a warning sign as well. I remember um, one of our um great saints of old Dallas Willard um, that some of in the audience might be familiar with. Um, he's now passed away, but he used to say that we needed to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So I think if you're feeling a sense of that, you're always in a hurry, always running around, always on the go, that's probably a good sign that your life is, is moving at a pace that ultimately is unsustainable. We might be able to sustain it for a little while, but eventually I think that kind of pace really contributes to burnout and the inability to be fully present with what we're doing, what we're engaging in. Yeah. What would you say happens to a person who never sort of notices those feelings you're talking about being overwhelmed, to know your needs, the the whole you know, hurried pace of life. If we don't pay attention to it and we never slow down, what happens to a person if that's the case? 
Well, clearly there are individual differences and there are differences in personality. So for those out there who are able to and really thrive in uh, an environment in which they're kind of, um, they have a lot of, a lot of things they need to juggle. I want to acknowledge that, that for some people that is just the way they move and they take other ways to have sort of a, a break or a pace or a change of pace, change of scenery. I think for most of us, especially, um, with folks in ministry or in social services or in any kind of service profession, I think in, uh, what ends up happening is that people lose their ability to connect empathetically with others. And I think that they burn out. They are not able to sustain that pace long-term in, in, in terms of um, their work um, being fruitful, um, being whole. Um, continuing to um, be of a quality that that would reflect one's ability to be present, to be empathetic, to have compassion, to be able to see and and really engage in um, what they're doing. I think that's what ultimately happens. I used to give a talk called "Burning Bright Without Burning Out," and I think for for most folks, um, we do. And I know in my own life, uh, when I was a pastor, I eventually did burn out because I didn't know how to put in place those, those pacers, <laughs> those things to slow my own life down and give me the space I needed to um, sort of uh, be present to my own needs and, and what I had to do to refresh myself to, to, to keep myself going. We laugh because it's so trite. But when we're on the airplane and we're flying and they always say, put on your own mask before assisting others, that's actually true. Um, if we are not attending to ourselves in such a way that we can then pour back out again, um, we just will lose our breath, right? We'll, su we'll suffocate um, without doing that. Um, and I think that's what I see happening in the therapy room as well as when I was involved in, in ministry. Um, so I think that's what I've seen happen. I love that idea of burning bright without burning out. That's very cool. And I, I think I remember someone said to me once, because I think as a Christian and maybe a Christian in ministry for myself personally, I have lived so many years with this idea of like laying down my life for others, like that of Jesus, like just like constantly sacrificing, constantly giving, investing, pouring out. And I read a book, I think it was Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or whatever by Peter Scazzaro. I could be wrong, but, and I, and he said, how can you um, lay down your life for others if you don't have one to lay down? Like it's that, <laughs> it's that oxygen mask thing you're talking about. You have to take care of your life so you have one to lay down for others. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the interesting things when you um, spend some time looking at the life of Jesus, reading the Gospels, you see that he was constantly, it talked about withdrawing to lonely places to pray or getting away from the crowds for times of, 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 of just isolation of, of not isolation, but of solitude. That's the word I'm looking for, of solitude and of silence and of communing with the Father. And here we think about Jesus, you know, really, he had just three years of active ministry. Um, he spent 30 years doing what? 
<laughs> and which was the, you know, which fed what, you know, 30 solid years of sort of being an obscurity, not, we don't have that, the, those recorded for us in the gospels and then three years of active ministry. And I think if we take a step back, there's all kinds of prep work that was going into this life that was going to be lived, um, to, uh, in, as the Messiah of Israel. And, and then in, even in the gospel records, Jesus is constantly withdrawing to pray. He's talking about spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, um, giving other kinds of disciplines that do, as you're saying, Willow, give us a life to lay down. If we don't do that, we, we don't have anything to lay down. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like in all the hurry and the striving and the hustle, it's almost like we don't slow down. We don't get away to a place of solitude and spend time with the father. We don't, um, you know, set, set down our responsibilities and our to do list and all of these things. It feels like there's something we're chasing that we feel like we have to keep chasing. What do you think it is? Well, I think for a lot of us, we tend to confuse what makes us worthwhile, what makes us have value. <laughs> and a lot of us associate it with um, sort of this doing. The more I do, the busier I am, the uh, more experience that I can have, perhaps the better I am. Um, and I think in the life of Jesus, we see in some ways that just the opposite was true. Um, Jesus, of course, didn't heal everybody. He didn't fix everybody. He couldn't get to everybody. He didn't go to the whole world. He went to this small, little, tiny sliver of a country and just a few towns within that country. Um, and uh, he's one of the most, whether you're a Christian or not, he's one of the most important historical figures <laughs> in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as Christians, we we know why. But even if you're not a Christian, you can't help but look at this amazing life and 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 think, wow, what a difference. And that was, it, it was a very small slice of the pie from our modern standards and how we might judge somebody's significance. So I think one thing is we tend to get our values a lot of times from those sources that say you're only valuable if you're producing. And um, the gospel tells us that, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You don't bear fruit unless you're connected to the vine. And so the source of our being, the source of our importance, the ground, the foundation is that relationship, a relationship um, that comes from spending time, being quiet, listening, um, not rushing to the next thing, but, but again, that sense of being fully present with where you are, with what's happening right in front of you. That's a, the other thing about the ministry of Jesus that I think can be very instructive is that he dealt with whoever was right in front of him. He wasn't thinking, even though he had people come, like he was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter and he got interrupted. Um, he didn't say, I'm sorry, I got something else I got to do here. He paid attention to who came right in front of his face and dealt with that situation. We're hurrying all the time. We can't see that. We miss those kinds of opportunities, those interruptions that are that are opportunities. Hmm. 
Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. Margaret, you say, you said you're only valuable if you're producing that this is kind of a, a thing that we often believe. And I know I can resonate with that statement so much. And then you talk about this sort of passage in scripture about being connected to the vine and that the the things that we do are almost like an overflow of the source, the relationship. And in order to, to actually slow down and stop producing and be connected to the source and trust that in not producing, you actually might end up producing so much more, so much better, so much more beautiful fruit. That really is like an act of faith. Like, it almost seems like when you're talking, like, the invitation to slow down feels like an act of faith to trust that as you actually do less, God can do more. Yes, I I believe that with all my heart, because I think if we're hurrying around, how in the world can we possibly be connected to a vine? I mean, I think Jesus's use of agricultural imagery is also for that point, right? Things don't grow up overnight. They're not a seed in the ground, and then suddenly there's a full producing vineyard. It takes years and years and years and years of slow growth, and then an abundant harvest. So, um, we lose again with our technology and everything. We lose touch with agricultural metaphors and agricultural imagery that could be really instructive on that point. Um, one of the things I love to do. This is a slight side, but um, but important is to go to the different fairs that we have. The, the Washington State Fair in our neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest, or other fairs when I was growing up, county fairs and things and. The thing I think I love about them still is the hard work, the patience that goes into growing things, producing things like quilts and all the beautiful um, lace that people put on display and the crafts. And this is like the slow work that we used to all be involved in prior to the advent of technology and our technological age. And I'm not saying we can go back there or that that's even the point. The point is, is that we need that kind of intentionality. We need that kind of reminder because we're not going to get it from technology, right? That's not technology's job. That's not why we use it. We use it for efficiency. We use it for, for um, making things go faster. 
And that's great. Hey, I'm, I'm here. We are talking on a great technology to do this podcast. So I'm not opposed to that, but what kind of shape does it put on us? What kind of impression does it put on us? What kind of world pressures because of technology? How does that then influence us? And we can't see that unless we jump out of the pot. If we turned the pot up to boiling immediately, the frog would jump out right away. Or if we dropped a frog in a boiling pot, it would jump out, right? Mm -hmm. But the temperature goes up so slowly and so gradually that we don't, and if we're in a hurry, we're not taking the time to notice these subtle changes that are happening to us. And um, so there has to be that intention to slow down in different ways. And I can hear, and I've heard over the years, all the moms saying, that's impossible. How do I do that? You know, all of us have five minutes. We may not have more than that. And I grant people that, but five minutes is where we could start, or even a minute, 30 seconds, three deep breaths. All of us have an entry point. Some of us um, are done with our child rearing years and we can slow down in those ways. And I know I can appreciate that in an audience like this, there's lots of young moms who feel pulled in a million different directions, young moms, working moms, both together. Um, but all of us can find five minutes. All of us can find 30 seconds to begin to be more intentional about the speed at which we're traveling and whether or not, and or not even whether or not, how that is impacting not only our relationships with others, our work, our vocations, our service, our presence to ourselves, And of course, um, again, for those listening who are in relationship with God, our, our devotional life, our worship life, our ability to connect and hear from God and what God values. You mentioned a while back, Margaret, the word pacers, mm. when you were talking about burning bright without burning out and that it took you some time to figure out what pacers you needed to implement in your life. Can you tell us what pacers are and some examples of what they might look like? Yes. Well, I think of pacers in a race, right? Who are the ones who sort of set the pace. And there's this particular race position called a rabbit where the rabbit um, doesn't ever set out to win the race, but to more set an appropriate pace to help others go ahead and win. And so that's kind of my image of, of pacing. Um, but just sort of, again, that intentionality with, with speed. So some of the ways in which I've I work on that. I'm not going to say I've done that because I'm still working on it. But some of the ways I do that is there are times when I will intentionally stay in the slower lane of traffic, period. I will not pass. I will not try to speed up. I will go slow just to force myself to have to slow down. There are times, um, and more and more important to do so now that we have sort of our self-scanning checkouts in a lot of grocery stores all over the country and the world, I put myself in the checkout lane where I am in, there's a line and I have to wait. Uh, um, I try to schedule appointments and put time around them so that I'm not running from one appointment and, and to the next, because when we do that, of course, we're going to feel in a hurry. We're going to feel like we have to move on to the next thing. Where's my time? Um, so I try when I schedule appointments, I try to give myself at least, at least 15 minutes, if not 30 minutes in between 
to sort of recollect, uh, connect with what's happening, get my thoughts organized. Um, so I try to work on, and again, I'm working on it. I haven't gotten there yet, but I try to work on what, what does my schedule look like? And I'll be honest, because we need to be honest. There are days when I do that really well, and there's days when I don't. And so that's when we need to be compassionate, right, to ourselves, to recognize as human beings, we're never going to, perfection is not necessarily the goal. It's just continuing to come back to that intentionality that I need that space to function in the way I think we're intended to function. It's interesting, Margaret, that you talk about pacing. You know, you mentioned you practice actually waiting and you schedule in a way that gives margin. Those are such really good examples. I think about people I know who have a really hard time with the idea of slowing down and stopping or being even alone um, because they might actually have to deal with some things. Like there might be some things that, in fact, I had a meeting with someone this week in the office here that um, just doesn't want to have to deal with the things. So she just keeps going and going and going. And I wonder um, what your advice is for someone who's not slowing down because it's almost like an escapism from from the pain and the hurt that they're trying to run from. Yeah. Well, we certainly can see why and how that would happen. If, if the, if the thing that a person is dealing with is so painful that, um, to actually try to deal with it feels impossible, right? So to distract, to go into that mode of experiential avoidance, uh, we all probably have been there at one time or another. And so there's compassion there, right? I get, I get why that happens. I think the thing is, um, at some point, that's going to catch up with that person. And who bears the weight of the hurry now, right? Even though <clears throat> distraction feels like an adaptive strategy, and in many ways it is an adaptive strategy, it helps the person to survive. Um, but at what cost? And so when you're working with people, obviously, we have to take the time to help the person experience what that might feel like. And there are very tangible ways to do that. I just uh, got out of a consult this morning where we actually talked about bringing in different weights of stones and having a person take one of those stones with them that represented the weight of what they were carrying and to carry it around for a week and to see this, this distraction, this, dis this constant pace, what, what does it weigh? What, how do I experience that um, as a way to try and help them see who ultimately does it, does it hurt to not sort of slow down enough to deal with what needs to be dealt with. But, you know, it, we're, when we're working with people, we have to be patient and we have to model what we would want them to embrace for themselves. And that takes time. And certainly people can only move at, at their own level of readiness. Um, but continuing to ask questions about the cost to the to that person's own well-being and self um, are certainly what I would and what I do do <laughs> to try and help people. And then to assure that person that um, you're not alone in this process. I'm going to be with you to help you face the things that are hard to face um, that are difficult. Okay. Offering your own time in that way. Yeah. 
I feel like we live in a culture, and I know I can resonate, but I'm seeing it in so many people's lives where we're told, and similar to you talking about, we're only valuable if we produce, or constantly kind of being told, like, we have to do, 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 we have to accomplish, we have to set goals, we have to, like, strive, we have to achieve all these things in order order to be seen as worthy. And I'm curious what your advice is to women. How do we find our worth outside of what we do? Well, um, I think um, all of that starts with understanding our value, our uniqueness as creatures of God, being made in the image of God. And God bestows this value on us, this uniqueness on us that that has nothing to do with what we've produced, right? Any mother who holds her young child looks at that baby and and has um, that experience of sort of rapture and joy and wonder at this new little being that's come into the world. That being hasn't done anything, right? Just mm-hmm. there it is. And so I, t- I try to... Um, in my own work with people, remind them of that, of their uniqueness and that that's their gift, that they didn't do anything to have that kind of favor bestowed on them. It's just freely given and there it is. And so I think understanding, continuing to come back and help people understand that the source of their worth is not about what they produce, but who they are um, can be helpful. And then I think um, I, I like to think back on our on our childhoods and that that form of creativity and imagination that frees us to just be, to play, to engage in the world without any worry about who's thinking what about us. Um, we tend to compare ourselves, of course, with others. That's what happens to us as we grow up. We look around and say, wait a minute, I'm not like that. And unfortunately, whenever we compare, we're, we can always find something less, something different, something what we would say is wrong. If we stop that and just remember what it was like to play freely in our front yards or our backyards or wherever we engaged in play with that kind of creativity, and we call that to mind, I think whenever we do that, we can kind of open ourselves up to that creative spirit now that, again, is not about doing so much as it is just about being. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about what I'm saying and realizing that's not very concrete, but I think about that image a lot. Um, and I guess, I guess what I would say is, is when we approach our lives our relationships, our challenges with sort of that kind of beginner's mind when we're, oh, what if we looked at this from the perspective that we've never seen this before and it's brand new. When we were children, that filled us with wonder. And I think that same wonder is possible now as adults if we adopt that posture. Um, And that also, you know, that requires the time and the space to do that, to sort of begin to think that way and approach your life that way. But I think that also can be very helpful in getting us to see that our worth doesn't necessarily have to do with what we produce, but who we are and how we're being in relationship with others, with our lives, with our tasks, with our work. 
I'm curious, Margaret, because we have a conference coming up in November, November 4th, and we're super excited. We have Bob Goff. He's a New York Times bestselling author coming, and we're centering around the collision with Jesus and Mary and Martha. And I'm sure, you know, you used to be a pastor. You're familiar with this story. Um, but one was busy, 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 and and Jesus says, you know, the other was slowing down and she chose what's best. And I'm curious just how you uniquely view that collision and what you get from what Jesus was trying to get at there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think <clears throat> I think a lot of times we can read this and think Martha was in the wrong or she wasn't trying to do the right thing. No, she she recognized. And of course, it was a cultural value that hospitality was super important in the Middle East. Um, it still is. And so to do these things, to make the guests feel welcome, were very important. But what Jesus says is that Mary's chosen what is better, the important part, which was to take the time to be in relationship Um, with Martha. She was focused on what needed to be done rather than on being with Jesus, on actually just stopping and saying, what's the point here? The point is is to enjoy this guest's presence. Um, And we think that the only way sometimes that that's enjoyable is if everything's put in place and cleaned and shiny and bright. And really it's about being with people um, regardless of what other things we think makes for that experience. And certainly they can add to the experience, but that's not the point. The point is to be, um, to be with Jesus who was soon going away. Interestingly enough, when you bookmark that story with then um the story of the raising of Lazarus. It's Martha who gets that Jesus is the one who will raise Lazarus from the dead and is the one who trusts in him and has faith in him. So she learned from that. Oh yeah. Being in connection with you that can even raise the dead to new life. And so um, Martha is the hero in that story. Mary doesn't even want to go out to meet Jesus at first because she's so heartsick. Under- again, understandably, Jesus doesn't chide her either for her response, but Martha has redemption. <laughs> and so um, I don't think that doing is not a part of our lives, right? We can't just sit around and be. There is work to be done, even in monastic communities that are all about prayer or silence or some of the spiritual disciplines, they have work to do. Um, So I'm not saying I'm anti-work or anti-doing, not at all. Um, There are things, tasks that we are called to do, Um, but it's the manner in which we do them. It's the intention with which we do them that I think Jesus says makes all the difference. and we can't have that matter and that intentionality, that substance, if the speed of our lives is so fast that we can't even consider what, what that might look like, how it could be different. I love that you point out the later collision with Mary and Martha when their brother dies and they run to him and that Martha, uh, the one who was busy, busy, busy at one point, finally got it. And you said something really interesting, which is, and I'm I'm gonna botch this, but you just said something that was that was so profound. You said it was because she finally got that it was by spending time in the presence of Jesus that he could raise 
the dead back to life, yes. which is very interesting because our time well spent choosing what's best, slowing down, um, can actually infill us later in other chapters of our life in the times we need it most to have hope, to have faith, to believe redemption is possible. I, I'm totally going to put you on the spot here because I think this is such an interesting idea. And I, I'd written down a few minutes ago, have you had in your own life a time personally where you heard the voice of God invite you to step aside from the busy, 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 hurry, 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 hustle, strive, strive, strive into a place of his presence. And what was that like for you? Well, I think I did indeed in a couple of ways. One was when I was uh, actively serving in min pastoral ministry, I got to the point where I used to walk and pray all the time. I'd walk and pray, walk and pray. And I got to the point where I couldn't pray anymore. So that was one way Jesus was calling me was mm -hmm. by getting my attention by me saying, I can't, I can't even vocalize prayers anymore. And this used to be a huge part of my spiritual life was walking and praying. I think one of the ways that um, there was a more direct kind of communication was through gardening, um, getting involved with gardening. I might have shared the last time I was on this podcast that I um, lost my first husband um, when I was just 44 years old. And in the wake of dealing with all that, I had to sort of pick back up again, but in a completely different way. Um, and one of the ways I began to do that was through going out into the garden, cultivating, seeing what made things grow, um, watching them grow slowly, patiently, um, and recognizing that in the same way, there are, there are essential elements that our Christian faith and relationship with Jesus um, are necessary that we need in order to be beautiful plants or fruitful plants or uh, abundant plants um, in terms of what we produce. But it, it's not the other way around. It's not that in producing somehow we are more abundant. It's actually in grabbing hold of the nutrients, <laughs> getting, getting all the yummy, delicious things out of the soil. And it was actually through a tiny little radish that I got that message. Um, and it really shifted... Um, at least my intention, my the exercise of my will to sort of recognize I have choices I can make every single day that draw upon nutrients rather than think, want to jump ahead and say, no, I got to get it done. I got to get it done. I got to get it done. That the nutrients actually would sustain and enable what needed to be done ultimately. And it was through sort of these taking on an intentional practice that is slow. Gardening is not a fast process, slow. And it helped me to recognize how important those sort of nutrient or disciplines, practices, rituals, whatever we'd want to call them, how important they are for helping me then to go out and live in the way that I feel I'm being called to live. Hmm. Margaret, I know we have to come to a close, but I think the last question I'm hoping to ask you is for 
people listening who want to say yes to that invitation, who want more of that. They want to be connected to the vine. They want nutrients from the source. They want to slow down and they have no idea how to start. Where should they start? Well, um, I would start by just sort of taking an assessment of one's daily life. Where is time being spent? Almost like you would do your checkbook balancing, take a little balancing of your life, take a look at where you're at, kind of keep track of it for a while and see where your time is going. And then begin to say, where can I carve out five minutes to uh, slow down my pace of life? to begin to breathe more deeply. It could be as simple as that to spend more quality time in prayer, listening, journaling, those things that are practices that, that slow us down. And again, making sure that we do that in a way that's paced appropriately for us. Right? So you don't start by saying, I'm going to go on a silent retreat for a week. Um, to carve out space, although that may come, but you just start saying, here's a little bit of time. There's a little bit of time. How do I want to start using that little bit of time that I have to be more present to this moment? Um, breathing practice can help with that. There's some wonderful apps out there that can help with that. Um, one of the ones I've been recent, I've recently been connected to is called Lectio 365. It's a, um, it's a more of a, a spiritual reading of scripture. So they go through this ritual. That's just, it's an acronym called pray. And it's the whole point of it is just to slow down, they say, and breathe deeply so that we can kind of collect our scattered senses on the presence of God. Um, so there are tools like that, that you can use to help you slow down. And I mean, th those, those little lectios are all of maybe six, seven minutes. No, so not a long period of time, not a big commitment and it's free. Um, but I, I just, I just think we start small and we watch it build because when you have successes in the small things, the momentum starts to get bigger and bigger, right? Like momentum does in real life, it gets faster and faster, but you got to start somewhere. And I think sort of taking inventory of where you're using your time now is the place to start. And then seeing where there are gaps that you can begin to be intentional about slowing down and connecting with the vine. Mm -hmm. So good. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for, you for having me speaking life into our hurried, busy, fast paced lives. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Margaret. I know that sometimes when we start talking about slowing down, it can bring up so many other things like a sense of unworthiness or a sense of responsibility that comes along with guilt and obligation or a fear that if we slow down, we might have to deal with some things. And if something came up for you today in that conversation, my hope is that you will say yes to whatever it is God is inviting you into, whatever new healing or work He's inviting you into. 
And if you loved spending time with a counselor, we have more podcasts with mental health therapists that will bless you. And we also have an online course called the Clyde Counseling Bundle that has, I think, about 12 or 13 classes with mental health therapists. And they sit with you for an hour and it comes along with an amazing um, journal and workbook that you get to work through that truly help you to deal with some of the things that might have popped up for you today. So make sure to check that out on our website at weekalide.net. And this week, my friend, I hope that you think about that illustration that Margaret just gave us. The one where she shared that a mother holds her infant and the infant has done nothing and the mother adores her child. I hope you know that you are absolutely adored outside of anything that you do or don't do. So this week, keep colliding with Jesus and know that's how loved you are. We'll catch you next week.